Yeah, well, uh, like you said, my name's Timmy. I'm really excited to be here tonight and to get to kick off this new series in Habakkuk with you, where we're going to be answering the question over the next four weeks of how do we live by faith when we have so many unanswered questions about God. And the question that Habakkuk's going to be asking God tonight is uh, one that we've probably all asked before, whether you are a Christian or not. And it's the question of, is God just or is God fair? If you look around the world, like Jordan was just saying, like, it's really easy to see that, yeah, there are a lot of really bad things that happen to some people who we think, man, they're pretty good, they didn't deserve that. Or the other way around, why do some really good things and blessings happen to some horrible people? We've all seen it. And so it's moments like this, and when we see things like this, where we, where we begin to question and wonder, is God just? And so it's actually a question that Lindsay and I, my wife, she's over there, um, I've been asking based on something that's been triggered in the last couple months. And so, uh, yeah, I grew up in Louisiana, way down south, totally different than here. Uh, met my wife, Lindsay, at LSU, where we went to college, and we were involved in a college ministry very similar to Saul Company, out of a church very similar to Veritas. And God used those ministries to really grow Lindsay and I to be a lot more like Jesus and less like ourselves. And so we we're very grateful for that. And uh, the way we got connected with the SALT Network is because it bothered both Lindsay and I that there are so many universities out there in America that don't have something like we had and something like you guys have right now. Like, this is pretty awesome, isn't it? You know, and so that bothered me that there wasn't uh, a place at, at so many different universities where college students can just come as they are and find Jesus as he is. And so about 10 months ago, a guy named Ernie, who uh, is going to be the lead pastor for our Cincinnati plant, called me about a salt director position. And so my wife and I moved way up north to the tundra in Cedar Falls. Um, it, just to tell you the difference, it didn't snow in Louisiana until I was 10 years old. Okay. And it snowed, I think, every single day since we've been here. So, <laughs> um, But, but uh, yeah, that question of is God just has been something that, that we've been walking through because um, two months ago this weekend, uh, when my wife and I were back in Louisiana, her brother passed away. And he was 19, and he was a freshman at LSU. And it was tragic. It was totally unexpected. And, and it's moments like this in life where we just want to wonder, God, what are you doing? Why would you allow that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how I would have drawn it up. Okay, and what we're going to see tonight is this man, this prophet named Habakkuk, is struggling with a similar question of God's justice. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Habakkuk 1. I think you're already there because of what, what Jordan said. But um, yeah, just to give a little background, Habakkuk is a, is a minor prophet, and he's talking to the southern kingdom of Israel, which was Judah. Okay, and uh, what's happening at this time in Judah's history is they've completely forsaken God's law, and as a result, violence and oppression is very prevalent, and there's tons of wicked leaders and corruption, and they're getting away with everything scot-free. And Habakkuk has a problem with this, and, and Habakkuk's form is different than the other prophets because it's not Habakkuk speaking to the nation on behalf of God. Instead, it's Habakkuk bringing his complaints and his laments to God directly. And so that's what we'll look tonight. Look at tonight, we'll begin in verse 2. 
O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And so Habakkuk's first complaint to God is, God, why are you allowing injustice to prevail? See, Habakkuk looks around at Judah. He sees God's people have totally forsaken the law. They've neglected the Torah. And then there's tons of corruption happening with the leaders and violence is being uh, oppressed on, on the poor by these wicked people, and they're just getting away with it. So he goes to God, God, what are you doing? Why would you allow that? Are you just? And let me ask you, how do you respond when you see things like this happening around you? When I was a student at LSU, I, uh, I waited tables at the seafood restaurant where they served oysters. Um, there, there probably isn't one of those in all of Iowa. Uh, and if there was, I wouldn't trust it, so don't go there. <laughs> Um, but one night after work, I went to Lindsay's. We were still dating then, and I went to go drop something off that I had borrowed from her. And so I go upstairs uh, into the duplex that she lived in, and I didn't lock my car, and I thought, oh, it's just going to be a second. I come back down 10 minutes later. I go to start my car with one of those, like, push-start things. It was real fancy. And uh, my car won't start. So I keep trying, and it's not working. And I look around where I keep my keys in my backpack, which should be in the back seat, and my backpack is gone. And in my backpack was my Mac with all my school assignments that I had been working on, my wallet with, with uh, the cash that I had from waiting tables. I had like $300 cash in there. And I am livid, okay? I call 911. Lindsay comes down. I'm freaking out. And then uh, it turns out the thieves weren't the smartest. Um, they plugged my laptop into their Wi-Fi. And so on Find My iPhone, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> It shows up a mile and a half away. I can see the exact house that it's in. So I'm like, okay, this is great. And so I show the cop, and he's like, oh, I know this house. I've had problems with these people before. I'm going to get your stuff back. And so instantly I just feel like this relief and weight of emotion. Sweet, I'm going to get my stuff back. And so um, I follow him. It felt like we were on like CSI or something. We're following the cop, and we're going down the street. And we, uh, he says, wait here a block off just in case something happens. So we're waiting and waiting, and he comes back 20 minutes later with some really bad news. He said, yeah, I talked to the mom, and uh, it turns out her kids just got back from Domino's, which is like right by my house, a mile and a half away from, I'm like, I know where they were, and uh, she wouldn't let him in without a warrant. And so there was nothing we could do to get my stuff back. And I literally was so angry, I just wanted to like throw a brick through these people's window because this totally was going to be so time-consuming. It felt so unjust, which unfortunately I didn't do it. Um, just kidding. <laughs> and, and I remember being mad and angry at God. Like, God, why would you allow that? These people are just going to keep doing this over and over again. Where's justice? And so let me ask you again, how do you respond when you see injustice happening around you? Because Habakkuk goes to God, and he says, God, why are you allowing evil people to prosper and not punish them? Why are you being idle towards the wicked happening? He begins to kind of accuse God. And so let me be clear. There are appropriate ways that we can approach God and ask him questions, and then there are other ways that are disrespectful. And so in order to do that, we need to kind of zoom out and look at the difference between 
God and humanity. Okay, because God is the creator. He's created everything intelligently, and he's designed it. Man, on the other hand, is created. God, completely and totally infinite. He has always existed. He has no beginning and no end. And then we are finite. We have a time where we're born, and then a time where we'll die. God is totally self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. Man, on the other hand, is completely dependent. We have tons of needs. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He sees everything. We, on the other hand, are little-knowing, and there's a lot that we don't understand. God is unerring. He's completely holy. He's perfect. Man, we are often erring, often making mistakes, and very sinful. And so some wrong ways of approaching God and asking him questions would be going to him pridefully and arrogantly, accusing God that why, why could you do this, demanding from God to give us an answer or carry out something the way that we would want it drawn up or we see best, putting God on trial or in the dock and accusing him. These are out of place for man to go to God. However, there are appropriate ways where we can approach God and ask him questions, and, and that would be humbly and honestly. Going to God, knowing that he doesn't owe me an answer. He doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. But we can go to him, and we can ask him humbly and honestly and, and go to God saying, God, can you help me understand what's going on? An attitude of not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And he may give us the answer of why something's happening. Sometimes he'll allow us to see that, but we don't deserve it, okay? So the posture we should have is one of complete submission and total love for God because he's been so merciful to us in this world. And so who are we to kind of think that we can raise a legitimate objection to God as to find fault with him and overturn his will? And as we continue this story tonight, we'll see Habakkuk begin to do some of that. And what we're going to see in a second is that God actually does see what's going on in Judah. He does see the injustice, and he's already doing something about it. And so let's look at his response to Habakkuk in verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. And at rulers they laugh, they laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. Okay, so to recap, Habakkuk looks around at Judah. He sees the injustice. He's bothered by it. And he goes, God, why are you allowing 
these evil workers to prevail and prosper? Why aren't you doing something about it? And then God hears Habakkuk and he responds and he says, I am doing something about it. I have seen it. I'm actually raising up the Chaldeans. Now the Chaldeans uh, are also known as the nation of Babylon and these were these really wicked people. And if you hear God describe them, he says they are a hasty and bitter nation. He says that their own strength and their own might is their God, and he calls them guilty men. Okay? And these pagan worshipers, these people who, who do not fear the Lord at all, they're going to be, they are going to be the instrument I use to punish Judah. And they're going to wipe you out. And so our first point tonight is God will always carry out justice however he pleases. Okay? God will always carry out justice however he pleases. You see, Habakkuk thinks that because the evil workers in Judah uh, are committing all this injustice and nothing's happening to them, that God must not be aware of what's going on. He must not see what's happening. Because if he, if he saw, then he would probably do something, or he must not care. I don't, I don't understand why he's being idle. I don't understand why he's not moving and how I think he should. But what we see is God does see what's going on. And so what about you? Do you believe that God is unaware of the injustice, injustices happening around in your life or around you? Or do you believe that God maybe just straight up doesn't care? Because if he did, I'm sure he wouldn't allow it. Do you have thoughts like that? Because Habakkuk thought that God was totally, completely unaware of what was happening, but it turns out God was well more aware than what Habakkuk had thought. But for us, you know, it is really easy as we see injustices happening around us, especially when we get robbed or you get lied to or you get taken advantage of by that boyfriend or abused by that uncle and they just get away with it or someone tarnishes your name by gossiping about you, it's easy to wonder, God, what are you doing? Why would you allow that? But we mustn't be fooled. God is completely aware of every single injustice that has ever happened. God is all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He sees everything. He is everywhere at once. And that is something that us, with our created puny-sized brains, will probably just never comprehend and understand this side of heaven. And thank God we have a God who is so big that our little minds can't wrap our, <laughs> around his, you know. And so notice that God's response to Habakkuk isn't No. He doesn't tell him no. He says instead, hey, I see what's happening. It's bothering me too. And judgment's coming. I'm going to use the Chaldeans. Well, let's look at how Habakkuk responds to this. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly... Look at traitors, talking about the Chaldeans. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them all, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury. 
and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So Habakkuk's talking about the Chaldeans here. And then he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and, and station myself on the tower and look to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So again, at first Habakkuk looks at Judah. He sees the injustice happening. He goes to God, God, why would you allow this? Why aren't you doing anything? God says, I am doing something. I'm actually raising up the Chaldeans. They're going to be the instrument I use to bring, to bring punishment on you. Yes, the wicked, horrific Chaldeans. And then now Habakkuk's response is, God, you seem really, really unfair. Look again. He says, aren't you God everlasting? We shall not die. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Talking about the Chaldeans. If they are worse than us, how can you use them to punish us? God, you just said yourself, they are a bitter and hasty nation. You said that dignity and, uh, and justice go forth from themselves, not from you. You called them guilty men whose own might is their God. How can you use them? That's not fair. But this is similar to what we do, isn't it? It's easy for us to look around and try to find other people who, we, who are worse than us or maybe who we think are worse than us so that we might feel better about ourselves. And even in spirituality, it kind of plays out like this. You know, you, you walk in the room, maybe even at church, and we automatically do this thing where we separate people into tiers or categories, and we're like, yep, them over there, they're uh, varsity Christians, and over here, JV, and there's freshman B team. Like, I, I need grace, you know, a little bit. Like, I sin here and there, but that person over there, do you know what they do on the weekend? And we put people in these categories. Or maybe even so bold to say, I deserve blessing and God's grace on my life. But they don't. And this kind of thinking and this attitude is totally prideful and wrong. Habakkuk thinks that because Israel is not as bad as the Chaldeans, that God should not allow them to punish them. And honestly, Habakkuk is so concerned with other people around him, talking about Judah and then the Chaldeans and even accusing God some, that he doesn't focus on himself and his own sin. A few months ago in Cedar Falls, I was uh, driving from our church, Candeo, back to our house. And I'm about to turn uh, on our street in Lindsay and I's neighborhood where we're living now. And I see this cop car coming towards me. And you know how every time you see a cop, like the first thing you want to do is check your speed. And, and so I'm not going that fast. I'm like, okay, like, like we're good. And so I don't slow down at all. And as soon as he passes me up, the lights come on. I'm like, shoot, and he U-turns, and so I, uh, I, I, I take a ride on in the side street, and I'm trying to think, what could it be? Like, what, what did I do? And uh, I see him about to start walking up, and then I realize, I know what it is. I don't have a front license plate. You need those in Iowa. You don't need those in Louisiana. I actually have both the license plates, but there's no holes on my bumper to put it in yet. I'll be able to smooth talk my way out of this one. So I'm already preparing what I'm about to say when this, this guy comes up. So I roll down my window as he walks up. How you doing? And he goes, yeah, so the reason I pulled you over is because you're going 38 and 25. I'm like, dang it. And he goes, yes, I need your license and registration. And so I go to get that. He starts walking back to his car. Well, then I see another cop car come up 
behind me, and I'm like, man, Podunk, Cedar Falls. I'm like the worst criminal that's ever been here. Like, they need two cops for this. Such a thug. I'm so mad. And uh, then I realized, wait, that's not, that's not another car. That's his car. The dude left his car and drive, okay? And he's probably like early 20s, like it's his first day on the job or something. And, and the car starts going forward. And I, still to this moment, I do not know how his car missed my car and didn't hit mine. But it starts going, and he's in the middle of the street, and he just looks bewildered at, is someone stealing my car? What's happening? And it is heading across the street straight for this person's house, okay? It ramps up on the sidewalk. He starts running around, right? This seems like something in a movie. Like, like I still can't believe this actually happened, okay? And he runs around as it goes across the sidewalk in this person's yard, hits their tree, and he like wedges his foot in there to stop his car after his car was already stopped by the tree, okay? He gets in, he backs it up really quickly, rolls down his window. He says, all right, man, uh, you're good to go. Uh, let's try to slow down, okay? And I said, yeah, man, sorry, mistakes happen. And, and he dri- I really did say that. <laughs> it just came out. And he drives away, turns right, and I see him, like, quickly get out of his, his car. He's checking out his bumper to make sure that, like, it's okay. He, the dude's so embarrassed. And so I am, like, rejoicing and cracking up as I'm driving home that I don't have to pay a $200 ticket. This is great. What just happened? And then I think about it. Wait, do you see what just happened there? The moment the cop or the officer realized that he just almost did something really, really bad, he's like, okay, no more justice anymore. Like, I don't want to uphold it. And it's in the same way. The moment that Habakkuk realizes that God is just and that he is going to actually carry out justice by using the Chaldeans, Habakkuk's like, no, I don't want it anymore. Not on your terms. Because us, like Habakkuk, we want justice on our own terms, and we want it carried out in our own way. And one way we go after it is by downplaying our own sin in our life and looking for others who do things that we don't do so that we feel better about ourselves, so that we can justify ourselves to God. You see, Habakkuk, at first, looks at the injustice, and he thinks that's happening around him. He thinks that's his biggest problem. But turns out Habakkuk's biggest problem was not the injustice happening around him. It was actually that God is just, and that's a big deal for you because you're not perfect and you have sinned against God. And that's a big deal for us because we are not perfect and we have all rebelled and we have all sinned and missed God's mark. And so have you bought a lie that because of your background in church, or because of your background and maybe a Christian family, or that you're better than some people around you, that you will be exempt from the judgment of God. Because what we see in this text and all throughout the Bible is that God is just, and he cares, and he is going to carry out justice. You see, Habakkuk thought, yeah, his biggest problem, again, was the injustices happening around him. Then he realizes God is just, and now he doesn't want it to happen anymore. But Paul writes in Romans uh, 6.23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. After he has just said that every single person has sinned and missed God's standard. And so the cost or the wage, what we earn from sinning against God, 
is death, and not just a physical death, but also judgment where we will stand before God, and for those who have sinned against him, will be separated from him forever and deserve punishment. That's what we deserve. The author in Hebrews 9.27 says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You see, there will be a day where we all stand before God, and we give an account for the life that we lived. And so we may think that our biggest problem is the injustices happening around us, but man's biggest problem is that we do not have peace with God. And there is nothing that we can do to earn peace with God because we need righteousness to be acceptable to God. But what do we have? We have sin. Now God, on the other hand, has righteousness. He has what we need, but we don't deserve. And we have what God hates and detests. And so rather than let us aimlessly try to work our way up to God, whether through comparison or blaming others or good works or coming to Saul Company, which, we, which would never be enough to give us right standing with God, God looked at his only son, Jesus, the only one who could do anything about our problem. And he said, go, subject yourself to the injustice of their world so that they can have life. And so that's what Jesus did. Jesus came being fully God and fully man. And he lived the life that you were required to live, that I was required to live, that Habakkuk was required to live, that Abraham was required to live. And he lived it perfectly. And then on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he lived my life and as if he lived your life and as if he lived Habakkuk's life. And praise be to God, three days later, he rose from the dead. And for those who trust in him, He gives the right to become children of God and you can have peace with God. And not only peace with God, but we're given righteousness and an inheritance in heaven with God where there will one day be no injustice and no more suffering and no more pain. And so we may not like God's ways in the moment or how he chooses to do something, but the gospel allows us to trust him. And this is why it's so important that we continue to remind ourselves and preach the gospel to ourselves. And we cling to the fact that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And so one way that Lindsay and I have seen that play out recently um, in, in, in our life is just the opportunities that since our brother Bradley has passed, that the Lord has given us to share the gospel with people around us and share the same message of how people can be made right with God. And so her brother, uh, her other brother recently got saved and gave his life to Jesus and God saved him. And then one of Bradley's friends, we got to share with as well and God saved him too. And And we're seeing God do all these amazing things and it's really cool, but we don't deserve that. That's just God being so gracious and merciful. And he's so trustworthy. But if you're having trouble trusting God, you have to go back and look at the person of Jesus. You see, God wasn't finished with Israel. He wasn't finished with Judah. Yes, he did raise up the Chaldeans. And if you continue in the story of the Bible, they do, they do come and they plunder them. And they carry them into ex- exile. But God spared some. And God still continued this line of Judah and then provided the Messiah, provided Jesus through this line. And praise be to God, he did, because now you and I have an opportunity and can have life because of what Jesus has done.
He is so trustworthy. And so after Lindsay's brother um, passed, Lindsay and I were having this conversation with a couple back in Baton Rouge. And uh, we were just recounting the last eight months since we've been in Cedar Falls and how difficult it's been. We've gone to Cincinnati, I think, five times and been in a car for 100 hours um, with over 180 people. We're in a new place. We're away from family. And there's a lot that we've said bye to. And there's stuff that we're excited about too, but it's been really hard transitioning. And then this happens, you know? And, 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 and the lady looked at us and said, well, you know, stability's coming. And she was talking about Cincinnati and that, well, when we get there, we'll be there, you know, more permanently. And then her husband quickly is like, well, don't promise them that because the truth is we aren't promised stability here. But there was some truth to what she's saying because the Christian hope and promise is that stability is coming and that this life here on earth is not home. And that one day for those who trust in Jesus and have, have hope in him, we will live forever in paradise where there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more injustice. And so Christians, let me remind you of that and encourage you to keep reminding one another of that because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget and want to, to question God in a way that's demanding or accusatory. But we need to remind ourselves of the gospel and push each other to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and continue to run the race. So please, keep running the race with me. And for those here who aren't sure, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, or maybe you know, let me ask you, what are you trusting in? What is your confidence in? I urge you, please, don't put your trust in your own works or in trying to be better than those around you. It'll be exhausting, and you'll never know for sure, and you'll never be able to have confidence. I urge you, trust in the one who subjected himself to the injustices of this world so that we could have life. Okay, let's pray. Father, these are heavy things difficult things to talk about. And Lord, unless your spirit opens our eyes to see and believe, we can't understand them. So I ask that you would open our eyes tonight to see who you are and how we can have life based on what you've done. For the believers here tonight, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to continue to run the race to continue to keep living missionally for you, not so that they can have right standing with you, but out of response to what you've done for them. And for those here who aren't sure where they're at with you, Lord, I ask that you would allow them to see who you are and that they would look to the person of Jesus and cling to him and trust in him. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for what you're doing here in Cedar Rapids. Um, so exciting to get to be a small part of it tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name.